I think it's just a challenge to get people to think about change before change has to happen. I need to be able to see down the road and around the corner. And I need to be able to make sure you have that level of clarity and plausibility that things can change. But I would say increasingly making sure they're preparing their organizations to be able to change. That comes with vision. That comes with clarity. That comes with strategy as well. And so, yes, we have to hit short term things, but we have to do them in a way that's going to help us position ourselves for the long term. And that's the tension I think that we all face as leaders. This is Anton Vincent speaking. He is the president of Mars Wrigley North America. Mars Wrigley is the world's leading manufacturer of confectionery products. Chocolate, chewing gum, mints, and fruity confections. And you will definitely know a lot of their very famous brands. Mars, Snickers, M&M's, Bounty, Twix, Wrigley Spearmint, and many more. Sorry if you're getting hungry now. Well, look, first of all, Anton Vincent, uh, as you said, I'm the president of Mars, really North America. We're the largest single unit in all of Mars. And so, uh, yeah, it takes on a very unique responsibility and uh, just really happy to be here. In a bit, you'll hear the rest of my interview with Anton Vincent. But first, a little bit about us and this brand new podcast, Three Years Ahead. My name is Duncan Painter. I'm the CEO of Essential PLC. You may know us best as the owners of Can Lions, the annual festival of creativity that had just finished in the south of France. And it was actually here that I first met Anton. And to my surprise, it was the first time that he had been here. And this is your first Lions? My first Lions, yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. You know, it's funny. When I was, when I was at General Mills, I, I remember the two times I was about to go, literally something happened. Like one, I had a passport issue. I was like, really? And then the other one, I don't know, something came up at work. I mean, it was just like, all right, I'm just not, I'm not destined to be here, clearly. <laughs> so I said, I would not miss this opportunity. What I hope gives me the right to be recording this podcast today is our largest business, Essential Digital Commerce. We have very quietly been building this business over the last seven years. Today, it's the world's largest real-time technology platform business that powers brands to maximize and automate their sales on the world's leading e-commerce marketplaces. You may know it through its two main franchises, Flywheel Digital and Perpetua. In this podcast, we speak to other leaders of brands, manufacturers and marketplaces who are in the middle of their digital transformation about why e-commerce is so important for a CEO today. And with this, back to Anton. I'm always ready. I started by asking Anton to put something in the back of his head that I wanted him to think about while we were recording this podcast. And the question was which decision he waited too long to execute on in his role as a leader and what the impact was. It's a tough question, but Anton accepted the challenge. Tough question, I know, but the goal through these podcasts is to try and teach us how we learn from mistakes. Is that okay? That's absolutely fine. Brilliant. I'll leave you mulling over on that <laughs> I'll one. mulling over yeah. <laughs> Anton comes from Jackson, Mississippi. He was the youngest of five boys, and he grew up in a very loving family, but from very humble beginnings. I asked Anton to tell me, about which key elements in his life that were important to get him where he is today. 
Yeah, you know, I always start off with, I think I had the best parents in the world. You know, I think they instilled us a value system around hard work, around giving back, and uh, around not making excuses. And I I would say that those three things are really sort of centered in my life as well. You know, athletics played a big part in my development when I was younger. I played for a Hall of Fame coach in high school. I played uh, ball all throughout college as well. And so I, I do think I have a classic athlete's mentality that I've had to learn how to manage and bring into a corporate environment as well. And I would sort of say, you know, I've probably had a couple of things in my childhood that I would sort of say sort of really were sort of sort of change points for me. I think one is a sad one. I actually lost one of my brothers in a drowning accident when I was in college. Uh, and I just talked to him maybe three or four hours before it happened. And so that was that was really a, uh, a devastating personal event. But I think it helped me to get uh, a really good understanding around getting serious about who I wanted to be. Wow, Anton. I mean, what a story. I mean, but firstly, sitting on the other side of the table for you, I can see you were an athlete. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're a big guy, right? You know, and uh, but what a, what a story about, mm. you know, how terrible tragedy that was to formulate your early life. I mean, a lot to go there. I, I know your mother asked you to be excellent at what you do. So how did that piece of advice affect you? And and do you still live by it today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the one thing about my parents and uh, you know other parents of the generation is that they spent their youth fighting for civil rights, you know, fighting to, for people to have an opportunity to, uh, to be free and to be great in life. And so I, I think we grew up in an environment of advocacy. And I felt certainly in my generation that we needed to pay off on all the efforts that our parents and their contemporaries made in terms of making sure that we had the freedom to grow up and be what we wanted to be and take us where our capabilities could take us as well. And so as a part of that is doing our part and our part was doing the best that we can and to have a high bar. And so I would say I live by that. We try to raise our children in that way as well. They have a specific level of clarity in terms of understanding, look, you're capable and we expect you to perform to your capability. You know, we'll try to give you all the support and resources to do that as well. And so I would say that's very much of a consistent theme throughout how I approach life professionally, how I approach life as an individual as well. It's a very high bar though, right? So, you know, that's, a high, of, that's a high <laughs> bar to maintain, right? So It's a high bar to maintain, yeah. Give us a sense for, you know, in your day-to-day life how you sort of discipline yourself to think about that bar on a constant basis. Well, I think the first thing is, you know, being from the Southern part of the United States, uh, you know, my, my parents were what we would call from the country. And so they, they live off the earth, you know, their, their parents were farmers and sharecroppers. And so we got up early, you know, we got up before uh, sunrise. And so I think that discipline of getting up, of having some alone time of being highly productive first time you grow up. So I think that has been very consistent in my life. My most productive time in my life is in the wee hours of the morning. That allows me to get centered. It allows me to get prepared. And so when I ever have to hit an environment, work or what have you, I'm ready to go. So I think preparation has been very big for us. And I think secondly, just making sure that there is clarity and high expectation starting with me. I don't ask anyone to hit a standard that I'm not hitting myself. And so I think people see that. I think there's a level of consistency around that. And I think there's a level of follow through that I think I've proven over time. Yeah, it's amazing that we talk through the the kind of way you live your life and your life to date. I mean, it's just immediately obvious that the work ethic is at the absolute core of the way you think. But right. I suppose in the role you're now in, did you always think you could lead people? Were you always, did it, in your mind, did you always imagine that you could be a great leader of people? How did that sort of shape and how did you think about that in your career? Is it something you would aspire to want to be a great leader? Yeah, it's a really good question. I would sort of say, you know, having been an athlete on a, in a team sport in basketball, you know, you, I really do have a strong team orientation. But, you know, even in organizations, there 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 are leaders and leaders have a very, very specific role. And I think I've always gravitated to that. You know, I've, I've tended to sort of see a, a broad 
broader sense of what the objective was. I tend to be able to gather people and, you know, put give momentum to people to go and get that objective. You know, I later on learned that, that might be some aspect of leadership. I felt like I was comfortable with it. People responded to it. So the whole followership part, I think I got very early in life as well. And then I think as I approached corporate America, I think I naturally gravitated towards opportunities, functions that were more leadership functions as well. So I can't say that it was something I focused on earlier. I think once I believed and understood and put points on the board, it began to lead me in those natural spaces. Yes, phenomenal. I mean, Anton, just spending time with you, I think of every barrier that we've already covered today that you've burst through in life, right? Because let's be honest, you've got, you know, you just described an environment where success could be hard to find, sure. right? You know, it's it's just a, an awesome story that you've already given us. But, you know, as you think of that leadership and you think of the digital space, this whole premise is about how leaders of companies can, can really pull themselves into this digital world. You know, when you're looking ahead, sort of what is that that you've got clear in your mind? What is that challenge? And, and do you agree it's a challenge to pull businesses into the digital world? Well, first of all, I think it's just a challenge to get people to think about change before change has to happen. <laughs> you know, and, and as leaders, you know, this is like, look, I, I need to be able to see down the road and around the corner. And I need to be able to make sure you have that level of clarity and plausibility that things can change. And then now how do we bring scale and space to that as well? And so I do think leaders themselves have to be oriented that way. But but I would say increasingly making sure they're preparing their organizations to be able to change. But that, that comes with vision, that comes with clarity, that comes with strength strategy as well. And so, yes, we have to hit short-term things, but we have to do them in a way that's going to help us position ourselves for the long term. And that's the tension I think that we all face as leaders. Yeah. I mean, look, we made a huge pivot and there's nothing harder than, from my experience, when you pivot from a, a, a safe world to a new world, you know, we did it in 14 before marketplaces even really kind of exist. And, and actually by history, if you look back, it was one of the worst stock performance years of Amazon in its history mm -hmm. in 14, because right. everyone was believing in B2C and yeah. that was the future and to make that pivot. But we were a company of a thousand people. You know, you run a business that is much, 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 much bigger than yeah. that. So when you think about setting out that vision and getting them to believe in change, because it's hard, right? But give us some thoughts around your techniques to get your people to believe in that vision and journey and sort of how they can see the future in a way that it doesn't exist today, but you know it's coming. First of all, I think it does start with the leader and just being able to set out, you know, sometimes we overuse the word vision, but I, I like to use the word clarity. Like it has to be very clear around, all right, this is how the future looks. This is why I believe the future looks this way. And I need you to believe it. Now, one of the techniques I use is like, let's just make sure we have joint discovery. So it's not Anton bringing the commandments down from the mountain. It's us discovering what a future could look like. Us having joint alignment. That, yeah, it probably has these kind of parameters in this kind of shape. And here are the two or three or four things we got to do to sort of make that happen. And I think once you get that joint clarity through joint learning, Boy, you can get that driven into the organization, I think, fairly quickly. So the whole principle of this podcast is it's called Three Years Ahead. And we deliberately picked that time horizon because from my experience of having now been very deep in e-commerce for um, nearly seven years now, it's part of the world where actually what worked yesterday may not even work today right. in the way that the marketplaces work. And then you've got to try and set out a view for three years from now. So, so when you think about the kind of landscape of e-commerce and the kind of challenges ahead for Mars as a corporation and your teams, what would you say is at the forefront of sort of how you think about that kind of need to be in an environment that rapidly adjusts, yeah. but you've got to hit a vision that's sort of out there? 
first of all, I'm, I'm part of a large, very large organization. And so even if there's clarity, you still got to get traction down and across and many times in multiple regions around the world. And then, as you know, in multiple regions around the world, it's a different business, it's a different pace, different consumer set, different channels, different go-to-market. So again, I think it's making sure we have that level of clarity. And I think the thing I talk about is, look, anything coming at us is going to come at us faster than everybody tells you, <laughs> right? I still remember us having conversations, I don't know, 2015, 2016, we said that e-commerce is going to be 1% of the ACV of all food sold you know, around the world. Then COVID happened. And so everything we say was going to happen in five years happened in one year, right? And no infrastructure, no supply chain was sort of ready to handle that as well. So I try to make sure that we we present situations that would stress our business model, that would stress our strategy, and at least have a plan that if that came to fruition, that we at least have some steps to sort of get there versus trying to figure it out on the fly. The Mars company has just some phenomenal products. And, and actually one of my favorites is M&M's. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I can tell you it's my kids' favorites, the, the kind of product orientation you've done. Uh, you know, we still need to get some of the, you know, the peanut butter ones into the UK. We can't, you know, I don't know, you know, we, you guys love that in the US. And, you, you, you're not the you first know, one that's uh, yeah, that you know, suggested I, I can tell me. you the biggest shopping list I get is when I'm coming home from the US is bags of peanut yeah. M&M's. So I know that you think the brands are special and they are yeah. very special, by the way, your brands. And that, um, you know, your brands really need to have a point of view. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what is the point of view do you think that M&M's really has? Well, one thing about M&M's is that uh, if you look at sort of the physical construction of that brand, look, it is multicolored. It is multi-shaped. We have characters of all hues, shapes, sizes, you name it. And so we just feel like uh, while fun is always and probably will always be the foundation of M&M's, the story it tells around belonging and inviting you to participate is one that we haven't told that we obviously we're starting to tell with our repositioning that happened in January. And so we just think with the scale that it already has, with the 82-year history, that it already has to add new dimensions and start to leverage those new dimensions with new geographies. You know, we still got a large part of the world that hasn't experienced M&M's yet. Let me just cut in here and tell you a little bit more about this podcast three years ahead. In 2014, I realized that I needed to look ahead if we wanted to stay relevant for our clients. We needed to rapidly change our focus we made a very heavy pivot selling 50% of our then market capitalization to allow us to reinvest in e-commerce. It was one of the hardest decisions in my time as a CEO, and hopefully it was the right one. Just to put this in a little context, our brand clients who utilize our experts and technology platform to maximize their sales and share in these environments generate almost one in every $5 of vendor sales, or GMV as we call it, on the leading e-commerce marketplaces in North America today. And we manage over one third of the programmatic media spend on these major platforms. And we also work with Mars and Anton Vincent. And that is why it's such a pleasure for me to interview him on my podcast. So let's go back to Anton. I asked him, what he sees as the most important channels in e-commerce. 
Yeah, well, you know, one, one of our principles is just make sure that we're, that we're ubiquitous, I think, in, in our distribution as well. But we also think about Mars as an ecosystem. And so all those things that you highlight are just brand assets. You know, you can have an experience in a store. You can have an experience with a product off the shelf. You can have an experience that's highly customized through all the stuff that we do as well. And e-commerce, I think, is just a part of that, that ecosystem as well. And part of that, again, that whole idea around being ubiquitous. And e-commerce, as you know, is a very unique environment. You know, we got to understand how do we drive an impulse mentality in an e-commerce go-to-market model, those types of things. And then how do we use e-commerce in ways that we can't use physical distribution or physical experiences? You know, and we're still, I would say, touching just the foundation of that as well. And so when you have scale, you have responsibility. When you have scale, you can touch things in a very comprehensive way. And I would say we're pretty good. I'll tell you, we're going to get a lot better a lot faster, and you're going to start seeing that entire ecosystem start to come together. And in some ways, the foundation of it is going to be how we digitize that brand, how do we globalize that brand, and how do we make an experience touchable in all ways. Yeah. One of the things I believe very strongly in is that a company's great strengths can also rapidly become their biggest Achilles heel. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've always admired about the Mars company is that you're phenomenal supply chain efficiency that you built over the years to serve bricks and mortar but obviously that great strength potentially becomes an achilles heel in this very different econ more flexible way so how are you sort of thinking about how you overcome that that kind of new innovation of product the packaging of product potentially you know you think about the blender brands that you've got you know now you know the ecom offers you the potential to bring clusters of brands together rather than the individual brands and bring that whole brand experience. But also let, let's be honest, you know, the anything below $8 through e-commerce is very hard to make money on. Right. So, so, so how are you thinking about that, that sort of blend and mix and that kind of maybe multi-brand combination within the Mars organization? Yeah, I think we are, you made a very good point. You know, one of the things I think is great about, about Mars is that, look, we're a manufacturing and R&D and brand organization. I mean, those are our roots. You know, when our founders founded, it was around products, it was about innovation, it was about really the technology, right? That's still not been able to be duplicated today in certain amounts of our platforms to be able to get it to the marketplace and globalizing that, right? That's sort of the foundation. And so in my ways, I start there. How do we start to use digital technology at the front end of the system? And that gives us an opportunity to get that cost down so as that average size goes out, we can actually sort of, sort of, you know, sort of get it up. So one of the things that we're doing is using digital technology in our manufacturing and our supply processes. There's some sophistication we can do around supply circles around the world. It actually gets cost down so we can have our delivery and more flexibility on the downside in terms of how we actually get it delivered as well. And then again, it's just making sure that we're starting to build relationships with our consumers in very different ways, right? And we call that a consumer obsession. And that might seem obvious, but I think we have an opportunity to be a lot more consumer obsessed and really to use that consumer obsession to, to deliver ideas, to deliver innovation, and to get creative in terms of how we get that last mile to them, you know, in a, in a business model that we really can accommodate that. And you, you said it right, when you've built your business, like many CBD companies have, around brick and mortar, it, it is a rethink, really, of your entire business model, because the consumption of those past the market are becoming much, much more diverse. And COVID, as you know, really accelerated that. I mean, in ways we're like, yeah, we're not ready. <laughs> you know, we got to get the business. We got to get it there as best way as we can. But we haven't tuned the organization to understand the diversity of routes of market in a digitized economy. And so so we we made some tremendous investments around what does that look like? How do we start to measure that in terms of data and analytics? And then how do we start to build systems that get that cost down? 
Yeah, I have the privilege of working with Sean Douglas in your European right. teams. Yeah. He's an outstanding e-com expert. Yeah. And it's amazing when we work with Sean and his team, just how knowledge, you know, he comes from, he's yeah, a totally pure, he's of, a yeah. pure blood di digital man, right? So, you know, and, and he has a phenomenal career with PayPal. And so, but from my experience, how does a brand like Miles Wrigley get that kind of quality of talent? in the digital world. I mean, how do you go about that? And yeah, well, I think it's pretty simple, particularly for a talent like Sean, and I would say anybody in the digital space, you know, look, what, what they really get excited about is the opportunity to transform, right? You know, they, they want to go solve a problem. They want to go solve a big problem. They want to solve that big problem fast. And so I think we have that with the scale that we have, with the brands that we have, with the connectivity that we have, with the investment that we're willing to put on the line to go from point A to point B quickly. <laughs> right. So I think that's one thing. The second thing is we continue to think that we have a differential employer proposition at Mars. We're principle based. We're a purpose driven company. We think we got some of the best brands in the world. You can't be the largest confectionery in the world and have the largest pet care company in the world with rock solid principles and a very, very long term orientation. I think it's exciting for anybody, but particularly for those folks who are looking to go in and transform very large, very iconic companies. You know, it's very easy to say, but I can say from working with Mars over many years that your values that you publish and as a supplier, we, we, I've worked with many companies that will say to me, these are our values. And sometimes they stick to that. Sometimes they don't. But what I can say to you in, in 16 years, I've never seen Mars step off those values right. in being a partner. So I've, I've certainly learned that if you can provide value to Mars and you can provide great service and you, you know, which is our job at the end right. of the day, I've never known an organization actually stick to those values like I've seen Mars. So I've seen it in reality. I know it's not just a statement. It's, it's real. No, it really is. Yeah. It really and is. it's an absolute testament to the company. So during the pandemic, you lost some sales, but gained in other areas. You've lost from your perspective, you know, how do you see that the shift from snacking, you, you touched on it, but it's probably the biggest threat to your business is that kind of, you know, that old fashioned point of sale, grab the snack out, you go kind of principle, which was very powerful. I know for the company at one point, how are you thinking about grabbing that back in the digital age? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we actually have a fairly diverse portfolio. And yes, you know, like everybody sort of got shocked initially. I would say there were parts of our business like chocolate that really snapped back, snapped back and then accelerated. The other parts that were more dependent on what we call mobility, i.e. consumers moving around, that took a more while, a longer while to actually respond. Things like gum, right? You know, we're the largest gum manufacturer in the United States, one of the largest in the world. And, you know, it took us a while to sort of understand what is that consumption pattern look like, how much, how dependent is on mobility, and how do we still market around the limitations that COVID sort of caused us as well. So it really is sort of a category by category situation. But the things that didn't change is brand resonance, brand loyalty, uh, how people feel about our brands, how that represents itself in extreme situations like a pandemic. And so, you know, our, our brand health is probably stronger as it ever has been. We are more committed to putting resources behind building those brands, leveraging those brands and expanding those brands. And I would say on the back, back side of this is I think we've learned more about our business. We've learned more about our consumers and we have an even greater commitment to go and move further, particularly in digital channels. In the beginning of the podcast, we heard Anton talk about how he didn't have an easy way laid out for him and some of the experience he had to endure as a black leader, he seems keen to give on to others. He is very active in Becca. Becca are creating opportunity, access, and equality for black marketeers. And a year ago, he met with the Black Business Student Association and Black Executive MBA student groups 
at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Here, he told the students to be proactive in their academic and professional pursuits. And he added that we are living in the most interesting time in history. I asked him what he meant by this. Our world is changing so fast that our human minds really can't process how fast and how rapid the change is happening. And so I was trying to really depart that to the students and just live into that. You know, I mean, they're coming into a world that is on a, just on a pace that's just sort of incomprehensible and just making sure that they leaned into it, not wait for things to come back to them. And particularly during these two years that they're away from their jobs, away from their families, re-educating in some cases themselves and getting ready to go back into the marketplace. This is the absolute best time to sort of lean in. So that was my basic message to the students that day. Yes, phenomenal. And, and look, what, you know, what are Mars, you know, what are you doing about inclusivity and inequality? It's such a massive topic for everyone. And, and are you better at this because of your own experiences? Well, I think it's really good. Well, first of all, I would say Mars is very committed to to DEI, and I would say certainly when the George Floyd incident got everybody's attention. And my, my thing is, and I think what we're pretty good at Mars is that we're not reacting to a situation. We are sort of saying, hey, this is a time for us to reevaluate who we are and what happens in our own environment and how do we sort of try to take control of it. That's number one. Number two, when we actually put investments in place, much like everything we do at Mars, these are long term. So long after the Long after the media has gone away, long after the hype is going, we want to be doing the work and being able to actually see change in action in a multitude of ways. That includes partnerships, that includes building our own individual diverse leadership pipeline over time. Um, and so I think we've been very aligned from the family on down in terms of what our level of commitment is and what our expectation is on the backside of that commitment as well. Now, you have a slogan on your website saying, you know, sorry to pick it up, but yeah. the, the, the world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. Yeah. How would you like the world of tomorrow to be and how does it affect how you do business today? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say in a word, we, we expect, certainly expect the world of tomorrow to be inclusive. All right. I think that's just really the foundation of it as well. And we say, hey, look, look, like anything we talk about for long term measures, it all starts with how we do what we do and how we follow through on what we do today. That's the only way for us to impact our future in a way that we can imagine and in a way that we articulate to the public world. And so we're very focused on the today, but only as a means to get to the tomorrow that we imagine. And it's more than a slogan. It is our vision. Uh, it's our vision for all of our 135,000 associates. We're very clear on that. And I think, you know, we construct vision, strategy, plan, action around that big concept. It's amazing. And, and the conviction you just gave yeah. to convey convinces me. Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs> so we're back to the question yeah, we said at the beginning. Yeah. I know you've, you know, I know you've been thinking about a lot of subjects, but what is the decision you waited too long to execute and what was the impact? And what did you learn and how did you fix from that experience? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I came into Mars, you know, I, I had a big mandate uh, and we don't like to use the word turnaround at Mars, but, you know, we, we had a real opportunity to take the biggest, you know, p in, in in the world and make it behave in a very different manner. I'll just sort of say it that way. And, and I, you know, for me, when I come into those situations, I'm very open-minded. I do it with pace generally. But I think one of the things I could have done faster is to have a better understanding of the capability that I needed on my leadership team to affect the change that I needed to affect on the back end in the time uh, that I, that we agreed that it would happen as well. I would say I waited a little too long, not much, um, but you know what I've counseled people, I probably didn't do myself. Look, if you see it, call it. 
make those things, make those decisions uh, in a very respectful way, which we, we would always do at Mars, but do it you know from that perspective. And so the great thing about it is while I did sort of take my time, I think the team that we have assembled, the talent that we've assembled, and the points that we put on the board since that time is, you know, is I think more than paid off the patience we did to sort of put that team together. So uh, so I probably would have moved a little faster, but I think the result has been incredible. And, and our jobs now is to maintain it and grow from here. I've been so excited to be able to do this interview, to be able to have the time with you today and to have all our listeners listening to what you've been saying. You're clearly an absolute legend. Everyone told oh me you are a legend, right? No, no, you are a legend, man. I mean, you you look at the history of what you've worked your way through, the background that you've had, the way you, you know, you're running a business, as you said, 135,000 associates around the world. It's an amazing company and brand. And it couldn't, honestly, it's such a privilege to have had the chance to, to get, get, gather your thoughts to understand how you think about the company and to have you here today and uh look i want to wrap up the interview but to really just say anton what an absolute privilege and pleasure thank you for being here today. well first of all thank you for having me and thank you for the partnership with mars you know we believe in long-term relationships so hopefully you're feeling that as a, as a vendor partner as well we just we appreciate the partnership from you and you know mutuality is one of our biggest principles and hopefully you're feeling that from mars I can tell you absolutely genuinely is one of the, the one things that I can be with the same conviction you said to me earlier. It's a phenomenal relationship that Mars has with its partners. It, it, that, that commitment to mutuality is not in doubt. Right. in any way and so it's an absolute privilege you to have you here on on the podcast and to be thinking three years ahead thank you anton thank you thank you for listening a big thank you again to anton vincent president of mars wrigley north america for taking the time to speak with me my name is duncan painter the ceo of essential plc please subscribe to my podcast three years ahead on all the channels where you normally get your podcasts I will be back with interviews with leaders who need to constantly pivot their brand or company for the challenges and opportunities of e-commerce. If you have any questions or suggestions, please mail to podcast at essential.com. I would love to hear what you have to think. Until next time, goodbye.